He is a good God. When Derek was up here today, one of the things I thought of is when he first started with us, and uh, this has been at times in our history a challenging and rough neighborhood, and I remember one season, this may be a decade ago, when there were uh, five people were shot over here in the James Street surveys in six weeks. Um, so five targeted shootings in six weeks. And when Derek started on staff, uh, we were up at pastor's conference, and he met Wes Hill, former youth pastor of our church, who's now serving the Lord in Bancroft, and Mike Kleinhaus, another former youth pastor of our church, both who'd been here for years um, previous to being youth pastors. Mike was in his family here. Wes was saved here um, under the ministry of Pete Wright prior to my arriving here. And, and um, Wes and Derek met with Mike at, at pastor's conference. Mike was like, uh, Derek, sorry, was like, it's so good to meet them and to know that they still like you and they're alive. I'm like, oh, nice. And, uh, and, and they're still in ministry. That was the three things. They like you, they're still in ministry, they're alive. Um, and so seeing them up there on the, uh, some of the pictures was just a real joy. I, I don't know when you faced a seemingly impossible situation. You've been in a situation that seems as if there's no way out. It's actually impossible. Maybe it's with your finances and you're heading toward bankruptcy and realize that you need to declare bankruptcy. Maybe it comes to your health and all of a sudden you knew you weren't feeling well, but in no way did you recognize you had cancer and then you find out it's actually stage four. It's inoperable. And you find yourself in this impossible situation. Maybe for you it's your schooling and as you've been going through school, you realize that you're failing course after course. In the history, in the 135 years that God has preserved this church, there have been seasons where the situation this church has been in has been seemingly impossible. Seemingly impossible. In 1886, as Paul said, uh, as a group at James Street Baptist Church, you can still see the front of that church um, down the street from us here, uh, James and Jackson, was contemplating planting and establishing a church. They were looking to establish it here in the north end of Hamilton, then called Northern Hamilton. And a year later, in 1887, I believe it was August 14th, um, they established a church here. Bought a property at Ferguson and Ferry, added on to that, and began to establish a church here in 1887. Uh, their first pastor here was only here for 20 months. The second pastor that was here was only here for nine months, both times because the church didn't have the finances to be able to pay the pastor adequately back then. James Street Baptist helped out Herkimer Baptist uh, a few years later. That became Stanley Avenue Baptist assisted as well. And then between basically 1890 and 1900, in those 10 years, the church just struggled immensely. They went through over eight pastors in those 10 years, and it looked like the doors were simply going to close. In fact, the Hamilton Spectator wrote an article about the northern part of Hamilton uh, in the mid-1890s uh, about the poor sanitation of this area, about the extreme poverty of this area, about the crime of this area, about the disease that was rampant in this area, not knowing how anyone could live here. God's people have faced insurmountable odds throughout history. If you have your Bible, start with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Jehoshaphat is king. 
He was 35 years old when he became king. He was the fourth king of Judah. So Israel at this time had divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And this Jehoshaphat, a godly man, is the fourth king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned for 25 years between 873 and 849 B.C. And the word of God says this, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. So three neighboring armies around the southern kingdom decide that they're going to create an alliance and they're going to annihilate Judah. They're going to do so because they've tried to do so against Israel, the northern kingdom, been unable to do so. They believe Judah is much weaker and so they're going to come against Judah, and in their attempt to do so, they want to annihilate God's people. Verse 2. So some of the people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon, Tamar, this is Angade. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek the help of the Lord indeed. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. No, they inquired, they fasted, and they prayed. Three armies are coming. The first thing Jehoshaphat doesn't do is turn to strategy, nor to despair. Often when we're in a seemingly impossible situation, the first thing we turn to is despair or to strategy. I can somehow work my way out of this. Jehoshaphat turns to fasting and to prayer. When I showed up 10 years ago, now 10 and a half years ago, in a coffee shop in Dundas with all of the church record books from 1886, the minute books and financial records, for Michael Haken, Dr. Michael Haken, to go through to write our 125th anniversary book, and there's copies outside. If you don't have a copy of this book, he and Ian Clary did a great job on it. I mean, he looked like a kid in a candy shop because he's a historian. And we have all the historical records of all of those years intact. This church didn't keep a lot intact in a few, in, like there were some years in there. I won't blame Pete Wright, but possibly. Anyway, um, I love the guy. He and I are good friends. But a lot of things were gone. Um, but somehow all these records were in a storage unit in the, in the old church building kind of hidden that we found. And so he went through them. And in, in the late 1890s, what did the church do? They prayed. They prayed. You can see it in the minute books. They gathered and prayed. Oh God, you've established this work. Oh God, you've called us here. They turned to prayer. When I came in 1994 to volunteer for a year and then became pastor in 95, so I worked with Pete for about a year and a half before he moved to Big River, Saskatchewan in the summer of 95. When I came here in 1994 to volunteer and was here, uh, serving uh, the Lord at that time, and some of the people uh, that had been uh, part of the church family when Pete came was still here, and they talked about the 1980s and how bleak it was. When Pete arrived, he would say on their one anniversary Sunday before he became pastor, there were 15 people, the average age was 78. 15 people, the average age was 78. And the fellowship just believed the doors of this place was going to close. That that's where we were heading. There was, you know, the, the budget my first year here was $35,000. I don't even know what it was like the couple of years previous to that. And so in the, in the midst of all of that, 
what did they tell me they did? They prayed. They turned to the Lord in prayer. And so Jehoshaphat in the seemingly impossible situation says, we need to inquire of the Lord, we need to fast, and we need to pray. Those, that's what we need to be doing. In our history here, in my time here, we've done that. When we were full in the old church building, cramming in 180 people. For those of you that have been in that building, that might seem impossible. We would hit 200 in that building, and then, and then we'd shrink back down to about 180. And then hit 200, shrink back down to 180. We had 140 crammed, I think we could do 146 or something, in the auditorium. And then we created an overflow in the back room, but the kids were also in the back room. And we tried when the kids went out to get the parents to come back in. It was a mess. And I remember being at an elders meeting where we were fasting and praying and saying, Lord, what's next? Like, Lord, what do we do? We tried two services. It was really tough on us. What's next? And we were praying about next and praying about, you know, would the Lord provide other space within this neighborhood? And what would that look like? And, and you know, one of the elders kind of tossed out the idea that we should look at every opportunity in the area that we could possibly rent and we had this thing back then called a fist of five if you were in agreement you just kind of threw in your fist and and if you had one finger two finger three finger four finger it showed your support whether one to five if your whole fist was in you were all in and we all just went boom and we just knew it was God we just knew God had said I have something in store for you when this building wasn't for sale the one that was previously here they had taken it off the market and we were negotiating with the owners to buy it and they said we don't want to sell it was the last building our dad died, our dad built before he died. Um, so we don't want to sell it. I took them a really nice box of Walker's chocolate, very nice box. Um, and uh, thanked them for all the interaction we'd have with them. And we called our church to three months of prayer and fasting. Now we didn't fast for three whole months or I'd look very different. But we, we prayed and we fasted. And in that time, as we prayed and fasted, a month and a half in, they called us and said, we're willing to sell the building. So this insurmountable moment is happening in Israel's history, in Judah's history. Three armies are coming against the one army of Judah. They're vast, the armies that are there. And they inquire, they fast, and they pray. Verse 5. So Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the heavens, or the kingdoms of the nations, sorry. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it. They built a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. But now, here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat in verse 6 reminds God of the past favor he has shown them. He reminds them of their obedience in driving out the land. Abraham being a friend, they drove people out of the land. They didn't drive these people out because he'd asked them not to. 
He brings forth in that their complaint in verse 10 and 11, not against God, but against the army that's coming their way. God, you spared them. God, you let them live there. God, you didn't take them over, and yet they're coming against us. See how they're repaying us. And then the plea, God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. That should be the posture of our lives so often. Too often we firstly move to strategy. Or we quickly move to distress. Rather than to inquiry and fasting and prayer. And simply saying, God, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. That's what this church has done throughout its history. In the 1890s, when it went through pastor after pastor after pastor, I mean, two men in under three years, and then eight men in the following 10 years, walking through, Lord, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. We simply don't know what to do. We're powerless. Is that your posture when you feel powerless in this world? When you feel powerless at work because of your faith? When you feel powerless in your neighborhood because maybe others are thinking that what you believe is crazy? When you feel powerless because of a, jobless, a job loss of some kind? When you feel powerless, whatever it is, God, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. And then listen to this, verse 13. All of the men of Judah and their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. They just waited. They just waited. God, you've got an answer. God, you can solve this. God, you can sort this out. And they just waited. How often do we have that patience? I'm, I'm not a patient person. You can ask anyone in my family. That's not my strength. I want to move, I want to act, I want to do something. I, I, I think while I'm talking. That's one of my strengths. I, I process while I'm talking. And I, I love to be engaged in that way. But sometimes God is just calling us to pause in every way and say, we just need to stand before the Lord. I remember West Hill when he'd left here and he went to Bancroft and he was going on a 48-hour silent spiritual retreat and he asked me to come and I said, why, why would I go? And he said, well, it, it'd probably be really good for you. I said, it, it might kill me. Like a silent retreat, Wes, I love you, man, but I mean, we talk all the time. How will we talk? He said, you're just kind of with your eyes. I'm like, wow, you're kind of with your eyes. Like that, that just doesn't seem something like you and I should be doing while we're, you know, on a 48-hour retreat. So, so I couldn't go. I actually thought of going, but I actually couldn't go. I, was, I had a speaking engagement the weekend he was going. But how often are we just silent before the Lord? Do we just pause before him because he's the God who has all of the answers and we don't? Do we just wait for his answer? Then, and it doesn't say how long they waited. Ten minutes? An hour? Five? I don't know. Then, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jalal, son of Matani, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. So the Spirit of the Lord falls on this Levite, Jehaziel, and he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, verse 15, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. The battle is not yours. It is God's. Tomorrow, 
march down against them. They will be climbing up against the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You won't have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. Twice he says, don't be afraid or discouraged. He reminds them that the battle belongs to him. He tells them that they're to go forward and that he's going to win the battle, that they can stand firm, but the battle is his. He doesn't explain to them how he's going to do it. He doesn't give a strategy. He doesn't tell them what is about to happen. He just says, this is what you're to do. Well, as the church waited in 1990, they called a pastor named James Bracken. He was here from 1990 to 2010, and then he came back in 2016 and was here until 2024. The old building was dilapidated, but the church began to grow. And they built the schoolhouse off of the queen in, and my wife is laughing at me. Oh, 2024. Yeah, he wasn't here that long. Um, 1916 to 1924. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to 2024 yet. With us in spirit. I don't, listen, I don't believe, so let's. Um, so, 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 sorry, in 1916 to 1924. Um, and, and in his first tenure, they bought the building in 1909, the old church building. And the Lord really used him in those two tenures with the church from 1900 to 1910 and then 1916 to 1924. And then in 1924, after his ministry, God raised up another man, W.H. Bauer. Bauer Memorial Hall, the hall behind the church, was named uh, after him. And in his tenure at the church, a couple of things happened. One, the McMaster controversy, where at that time, the convention was moving in liberal thinking around its views on the Bible, and they, Houston Street Baptist Church with others, stood firm on the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. They voted to leave the convention to join with the regular Union of Baptists. And in doing so, two of the trustees who didn't want them to leave sued the church and took it to court. And the Superior Court, then the Supreme Court of Ontario, ruled in favor of the two trustees who took them to court. Then the church appealed and won the appeal, winning the church. It was a real battle. But during that season, the church really grew. They were able to build, if you go and look at the building, even today, it's like a 30-second walk. The whole orange building around the back, not, not the washrooms yet. Listen, I don't understand this, to be honest. They didn't build the washrooms until 1958. And it's incomprehensible to me, because I've been in that basement so many times, that they would go down to the basement to use the bathroom, because you shouldn't go to that basement for anything. I mean, it's mainly dirt, right? There's a couple of dugout parts down there. My, my first... My first Sunday was, a, was January 1st on a Sunday. And that New Year's Eve, we hosted a big youth event. And uh, we were playing a game called Sardines. And, and yeah, so Sardines is where you hide. People have to find you. When they find you, they hide with you. So I had gone into the basement where I thought no one would go. And I went up. There were these, these walls with these pillars holding the church up and dirt. But I didn't realize how many rats were in the dirt until later. When we, yeah, we brought in an exterminator. He caught 18 the first week he was there. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I put a piece of cardboard down. I climbed up onto the, uh, onto the cardboard and slid up as far to the edge of the exterior church building I could. I mean, I never, never, never would I do that now. Like, that is, 
But there I was, right, playing sardines in the church basement. So, so until 1958, they, they decided they should use the bathroom in the basement. I don't even understand it. I'm sure they had an outhouse at one point too, but then they constructed those in 1958. But under Bauer's ministry and under Brackett's ministry, the church really grew and they really worshiped the Lord and served him, stood firm in the truth. Verse 18 of 2 Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat bowed down after he heard this from the Lord. His deliverance stand firm with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And some Levites from the Cotherites and uh, Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They heard from God. They worshiped him. And you can see that through our church history in minute books of, of just these seasons of worship of God because of his faithfulness to the church. John Piper says this, the key to praying with power is to become the kind of persons who do not use God for our ends, but are utterly devoted to being used for his ends. Being used for his ends. That was Reverend Bell, who came here in 1936 and stayed till 1942. Then there were two pastorates of George Clement. I never met George, but I met his wife um, a couple of times, his widow, when years, years later after he had passed away. And John Roberts, who I got to know quite well. John became a good friend. He preached here in my early years of ministry. Only passed away a couple of years ago, um, he and his wife. And then Reverend Bell came back from 1957 until 1989. But in the 80s, this church had 15 people attending, kind of the late 80s, struggling, right? Budget less than $35,000, handful of them, right? They'd meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meeting, but they just believed the Lord wanted them to stay open. Aren't you glad they did? Aren't you glad the Lord called these people to stay? Called them to pray faithfully? Asked them to serve him in that way? I mean, sometimes people are hard on people and, and they look back and say, oh, had they only not done things differently? Had they only understood the times? Had they only understood the north end? You know what? What they understood in that moment is we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And they faithfully fasted and prayed, believing that God still had a day in store for this church. And I'm thankful for their prayers. I'm thankful that they remained faithful. I'm thankful that they kept the doors open. I mean, those doors were pretty rickety, to be honest, that they kept open. But I'm thankful they kept them open. Um, the old side door. I mean, I remember at one time I was in my office, Ken Durrett and I working in this room. He was our administrator. I inherited him from Pete and worked like 10 or 15 hours a week. And, and our offices were side by side. And our, we run cross trainers that we ran this summer. We've run it for like 28 years. And, uh, and we were running it 28 years ago, and a whole bunch of students were on staff, including my wife, who wasn't my wife then. She was a student. She was 17. We didn't get married that young. Um, and, uh, and it may have been the summer after that, but one of our friends was there, and uh, friends had water, had a water bottle or something, I don't know, and sprayed water on me in my office. I thought, none of this. So I got up, shorts and T-shirt. I chased her. The old door would close slowly, slowly, so this old door. And then it would just, the, the, the closure would catch it and slam it shut. And I got there, the door wasn't quite shut, and I thought, I'm going to make it. And it slammed shut, and I hit the door with my hands, and I ran to it with my head, and I'm on the ground in pain inside the church. And all I can hear from outside the door is historic, hysterical laughter. So I open the door with my little bottle of water to spray on the kids, and they're standing there with buckets and hoses, and they just drenched me. They just <laughs> drenched me. The roof of the washrooms were flat. They were on the roof. It was a setup. It was a complete setup. Um, that was happening there that day. 
Um, but I'm thankful that people prayed. God, don't let the doors of these churches close. God, you've got something in store. You still plan to use it in this neighborhood. God, don't let it, don't let it die. Well, early the next morning, verse 20, they left for the desert. They set out. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God. You will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets. You will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever, Psalm 136. Now this is the most interesting battle strategy you may have heard in history. We're going to send the choir first. Now if they sang me, sent me at the beginning of the choir, maybe my singing, because it's not that great, would somehow have ill effect on the army in front of us and allow us to defeat them. But they're sending their choir. They're sending Jesse, right? Andrew, they're sending their best choir guys. And, and they're saying, we just want you to go and sing, and the army's going to be behind you. Can you imagine being in the choir that day? Right? Like, Lord, is this really going to work? Like, Lord, my faith is in you, but, like, you know, I'm crying out, give thanks to the Lord. And the guys with the weapons are behind me. Like, they're behind me. And so the choir's singing. The army's behind. But the Lord is with them. The Lord is with them. Tim Keller says this, putting our faith in Christ is not about trying harder. It means transferring our trust away from ourselves and resting in him. We trust him. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, verse 22, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir, that's the Munites, to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they then destroyed each other. So you had three armies coming together against one army. They create an alliance, and somehow in the middle of them coming to destroy Judah, God turns them against each other. God creates distrust. God allows them to think that they can't trust each other. And two armies turn against the one, and then they turn against each other. Verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, remember, choir first, singing at the top of their lungs, and they looked toward the vast army, they only saw dead bodies lying on the ground. No one was alive. No one escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. They found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. God provided. God provided. Most of you don't know this, but when God provided Pete Wright for this church back in 1990, it was really unusual. He's out west now, godly man, loves the Lord, hoping to have him here sometime in the spring to preach. He's preached here a few times over the years. He's 70 now. Um, 69 or 70, I th I, I'm convinced he's 70 now. And, and he's now working with an international organization, a missions organization, because he's a track coach, um, still reaching Muslims for Christ at 70 years old, him and his wife. I get their updates like every week on what God's doing through them to this day. 
But when he came here back then, every pastor in this city, not, not just at our church, every pastor in this city were in suit and ties. And Pete said, that's not how to reach this neighborhood. And he didn't put a suit and tie on. And he made some pretty drastic changes to that church pretty quickly. And it grew to 50 people. And no one would have picked him. He wasn't a pastor. He had some training at a Bible college. But he'd started Reach Forth Ministries in Hamilton. He'd birthed Reach Forth. And no one would have picked him. No one would have thought he could do this. But God did. God did. And God raised him up. I remember coming here, meeting with him. Pete, Pete had so... He just wasn't overly organized. And I'd come from this plumbing job I was working for because I'd finished Bible college and I asked them if I could work for them till I got a job and they said, sure. And um, I'd drive down in my parents' vehicle because I couldn't afford a vehicle then. And, and I'd come down here and volunteer with Pete two or three nights a week and be here on Sundays. And, and when I would get down here, I'd be plumbing. And we worked in septics and cisterns in the country, so I'd be dirty, right? And sometimes I didn't have time to shower between work and coming down here from the Bimbrook, Caledonia area. So I'd just drive straight down, no dinner, right? I'd change in the bathroom. I'd be washing whatever was on my hands. Don't imagine it was just there. Off. It's disgusting. Because you're working in a place sometimes. You're working in the septic, and there's no running water because we were working on the running water. And sometimes the septic gets on you while you're, and you got, no, anyway. So you're washing it all off. You're trying to get into clean clothes. And Pete comes into the bathroom. He just opens up and says, hey, I forgot. I've got three meetings tonight. I'm like, how do you forget? Right? Like, he and I are just so different now. He says, can you speak tonight? Like, tonight starts in 20 minutes. I'm like, on what? He said, Jesus. And then he would say to me, oh, he'd say to me, always be prepared. And he shut the door. And I'd be like, what? And, and that was Pete. That, that was his way of training me. I mean, I love this guy, but that was just like, that's what happened. And, and never, if, if you look back on his organizational skills, he was a great preacher, heart for evangelism. Never would anyone have said he's the right man for the job in that hour, but he was. The Lord picked him and the Lord used him. Because the church had prayed that God would raise someone up that would keep the doors open. And the Lord did. Now there is a story, I think one day, where Pete was opening the door and actually came off in his hand, so it was really open. And that's a whole other story. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord. And this is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem were touring joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. G.I. Packer says this. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend. He desires to be my friend. He has given his son to die for me in order to realize this pur purpose. Not merely that we know God, I love this, but that he knows us. Can you imagine those men in those moments coming back from the battle and, and they're going to explain to everyone what has just happened. The choir was first. The armor was before. The men turned on each other. We showed up. Everyone was dead. We simply plundered and worshiped the Lord. Like everyone back in Judah, all the children and, and wives and men who couldn't go are wondering what happened. And they're just going to simply come back and recount the greatness of God. God not only who loves to have relationship with us so that, so that we can know him, but he wants to know us. It's this great news. And we've seen God do this over the years. 
In 2010, when we had outgrown that building, we were praying, Lord, where, where? And we decided as elders that we start to look for rental space. We went to the Board of Education and said, can we rent the school? And during the week, the three nights we rented it, we got for free because so many community kids came into our programs. But on Sundays, we said, we'll pay for it. And the bill then was like 32000 I think, the first year on Sunday mornings to rent the school gym. We just said, okay, Lord, that's the cost. And we were really clear on the, on the forms, you know, worship of God, praying to God, singing to God, reading from the Bible, explaining the Bible. We didn't want anyone at the board to be confused about what we were asking to do on Sundays. We got the bill at the bottom. It said total amount due equals zero. And it said thank you for your partnership with the Board of Education. We're the only religious organization in all of Ontario ever to have that happen. For 10 years, it happened. Year after year after year. And I called the director then through three directors of education and said, hey, Chris, it's Dwayne. He said, hey, did you get your bill? I said, I did. He said, did you like it? I said, yes. <laughs> I said, but, but I want you to know what we're doing. Like we're doing church. He said, oh, you made that really clear on the form. And I started then to describe what church was to him. And he said, Dwayne, I have two doctorates. I may not be a Christian, but I am not an idiot. I know what church is. <laughs> and uh, he said, you were really clear. He said, for you, he said, you're the best partner, your church, the best partner the Board of Education has ever had. For you, the church, the school, sorry, is free. Who did that? Only God. Only God. Only God could give us a building that wasn't for sale. Only God could provide in the school board that others couldn't rent and for free. Only God, when the price tag for this building went up from 16 million to 22 million, could provide in such a way that now we sit at just under $900,000 of, of mortgage on this building in an interest-free loan. He provided $21 million for this building. Only God can do that. We fasted, we prayed, we trusted. Never, 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 28 years ago, I've, I've been here 28 years volunteering, and you count the year of volunteering, 20 and a half years. Never did we imagine this. With housing where 49 people are housed, ministry space and opportunity for people, only God could do that. Verse 29, I'm, I'm done here in a moment. Andrew, you guys can come up. So the fear of the Lord came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard about how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for God had given him rest on every side. As we go out and tell this story, do you know what happens? I bump into some of your friends' places. Last week I preached at West Highland's 50th anniversary. Monday I was at the Met, a church in Ottawa, all day doing teaching. And twice this week at Redeemer speaking. And as I bump into people all around and they talk to me, professors this week at Redeemer, staff at the Met, people at West Highland, so many of whom have been partners with us for so many years. You know what people said to me? Only God could do that. Only God could do that. And all we can say is praise his name. Praise his name. Only God could do this. No one could ever orchestrate this. No one could ever strategize this. No one could ever think this up. Only God could do this. Only God could do this. Well, aren't you glad when life was at its bleakest, when it was seemingly the darkest, that a Savior came? Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He never sinned. And in the darkest moment in history, when sin was coming against him with all of its might, as the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son, when Satan was attacking him with everything he had, when death thought it had defeated him, aren't you thankful 
that sin could not accuse him. Satan could not defeat him. And death could not own him. And three days later, the power of the Father raised him to life again so that he could reclaim a people for himself. He is the Lord. Is that not great news? And in whatever situation you find yourself in, however difficult it is, you can pause and inquire of him and fast to say, I depend on you and pray to say, I need you. And if you're not his child today, if you haven't turned to him in faith, you could say, God, I want what these people have. Would you save me? And you know what the good news is? Anyone who's coming to him asking to be saved, he never turns away. He delights in saving. And if you're his child, his son or his daughter who's crying out to him saying, God, this hurts. God, this is hard. God, this situation, whatever I'm in, do you know what he says? I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. And my prayer for the next 135 years of this place, if the Lord chooses to tarry that long before he returns, although Lord, come quickly, would be that with even greater degree we would learn to worship and trust and depend on our God. Paul and I were recently talking, Pastor Paul and I, and he's had 40 years of ministry experience. I, I shared this a couple weeks ago, but I just, in my 28 years of ministry experience, in his 40 years, never have we seen God show up in so many incredible ways as he's done in the last couple of years. Salvation of people, provision. Ways in this building he's just miraculously moved. And you can only say it's the hand of God. But my prayer is that what's behind us pales in comparison to what he longs to do in front of us. Oh God, would you save many more? Oh God, would you show up with greater power? Oh God, would we know your presence? Would you pray with me? God, we simply thank you for 135 years of faithfulness to us here. We thank you, God, for many people over the years that you have raised up who trusted you in prayer and relied on you, God, not even able to ever see a day like this that we simply celebrate your name in. And God, we are thankful for your grace and your hope and your love and your peace. We are thankful. Jesus, we're thankful for you. And Spirit of God, we're thankful that you are in us right here, right now. May we, in any situation we find ourselves in, first turn to you, not to despair, not to strategy, but to you. For we ask this in the powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.